Hello again and welcome to Ken Drew's Real Dirt Radio. Today we're going to talk about planning your dream garden in winter. Megan Kane is a garden educator, writer, and speaker with extensive front and side yard vegetable gardens in Madison, Wisconsin. She is the chief gardener over at the Creative Vegetable Gardener, where she teaches people to grow great food and become passionate and successful vegetable gardeners. And I'm happy to welcome Megan to Kendrew's Real Dirt. Hello. Hi, Ken. Thanks for having me. I like uh, some of the things that you say, and I'm going to quote you, and then you can tell me a little bit more about it. And you say, I believe in simple and elegant garden solutions and smart gardening. So tell me about those things. Sure. I'm, I'm definitely a minimalist in my life and in, in, in basically all things in my life and especially gardening. So I, I joke a lot with people that I teach that I always try the most simple thing I can think of first. And then if that doesn't work, then I'll go to the next most simple thing. So I don't like a lot of complicated solutions. I don't like a lot of fancy gardening tools. I keep it really streamlined and simple. And I think that also helps since I teach other people how to do it. I always try to think, okay, are the people that I'm teaching, are, is this going to be something that they're going to want to do or that's going to be easy to do? What are the barriers in some of these things that I could get rid of so that it's easier for people to garden? And that's what you call smart gardening? Yeah, smart. well, smart gardening for me really is, and this is probably the dream of every gardener, right, is to try to put the least amount of work possible and get the biggest result. Um, I certainly love working in my garden. I think it's a lot of joyful work for sure. But I also don't want to be a someone that has to spend all my time in my garden, especially in the summer, I think, for a lot of us. I know here in Wisconsin, the summer's short. There's barbecues and parties and vacations and camping trips to take. And so I don't want my garden to stand in the way of that. And mm. so for me, smart gardening is setting yourself up for success and also setting yourself up in a way that you don't have to spend your whole life in your garden, of course, unless you want to. But I think a lot of us uh, have lots of other things going on in the season as well. Yeah, and I don't want to be in the garden at noon yeah, me neither. <laughs> so that's a whole nother thing. You, you know, you're saying that it sounds a lot of like it's a, a lot about scale, but we can talk about that in a in a minute. You mentioned something. I'm just going to ask you a, a sort of a sidebar question. What's your favorite tool? My favorite tool is the the digging fork. So we actually just talked. We're talking about this in a, a Facebook group that I have as part of my business, and someone was asking about a different tool, and I said, well, I actually use the digging fork, and sometimes people think of it as like a potato digging fork, for for a lot of things, and especially for weeding. Um, I don't I don't use a lot of hand tools. I use a trowel to help me plant. But yeah, digging fork I use to, especially to pop out weeds. Although I don't have a ton of weeds in my garden, um, but also to dig things up like potatoes, mm. uh, and also sometimes to loosen up the soil if I want to on a little bit deeper of a level. Well, we're going to have a web page that accompanies the podcast, and I think maybe we'll have to have a, a picture of a digging fork if we can yeah, find one. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't know what it's called, but then when they see the picture, they realize that they have one in their garage, but maybe they haven't used it mm. for a while. Well, and some people think that a hay fork's the same as a pitchfork. Right. Uh, right. Uh, now, another big, vast question. You say you believe it's not about the garden, it's about the gardener. 
So I think for a lot of us, our gardens change, our garden locations change, and our garden circumstances change throughout our lives. But if you focus on learning the skills and developing as a gardener, you can kind of take that, those skills and that education wherever you go and whatever situation you're in. And so that's why I focus a lot on educating people. And really my secret mission is to, to turn lots of people into gardening addicts and to have people be committed to gardening for the long term. So really delve into it and then get deeper and deeper into it as time goes on and really stick with it for a long time. Because I do find that the longer that you garden, the more you realize that the more there is to learn and the more the more joys and, and kind of the deeper you can go into it. I'm sold. <laughs> that's right you say you're passionate about people's success and most people would say that they're passionate about gardening which i'm sure you are and they want and you want people who you teach to be passionate too but that you've just explained the whole thing about success and nothing succeeds like success i didn't want to use that cliche because it's more like uh when, when someone's gardening and they have that harvest or pull up that radish or something, that's that's what does it, especially in where you are. Because in in the West, you know, in the Pacific Northwest and in California, uh, it it's easier. I, they'll say I'm crazy, but it it is, you know, the, the climate's just so much nicer. So sometimes the climate helps people succeed and in right. the... Philadelphia area it's the community that helps people succeed mm -hmm. there's so much support and in the middle of the country I find that the gray winter is, mm -hmm. it kind of makes people really want to garden that's yes. why it's, you know people if you go to a public garden and there's some kind of conservatory or greenhouse they're really popular in the Midwest they're not as popular or as visited as much in the winter in climates where you know you don't need that as much but when uh, I love the snow. I think it's beautiful by February. Okay, enough with the snow. <laughs> and then in March, I want to. I have to go get some humidity and smell the the ox. Get extra oxygen by visiting a an enclosed space. Yes, yes, we do have a short season here. So certainly for Wisconsinites, it's even more critical to have have success. And I think you're right you kind of building on that i i really think that if you if people aren't having success then they're not having they're not going to have fun mm -hmm. and if you're not having fun you're not going to continue to garden i mean when it comes down to it yes well i think one of the reasons why people continue to garden is because it's fun and they enjoy it and so i really try to focus on yeah making sure people are having fun and i think a lot of that is the success you made me think of so many things and we're talking in winter now uh, so planning in winter is, is something that you stress so tell me i know it's another big i'm asking you these gigantic global <laughs> questions uh maybe we should talk about your 10 steps um it's it's like gg for aa or something so <laughs> so number one reflect tell me about that sure so i the most successful gardeners that I know at least do a little bit of planning in the winter. And again, I'm a minimalist. I like simple. I don't sit down for hours and hours and hours and plan my garden. I kind of do minimal planning. Um, but I do think that it's a way to set yourself up for success instead of running out 
on the first sunny day in spring to the nursery and grabbing a ton of seeds and plants, um, taking a little time to think about your garden before the season starts, I think helps you be a little bit more strategic. So reflecting, I think, is always a nice, a nice first step. And I certainly do this in my garden. Sometimes it's just a short reflection. But really thinking about what worked last year, what didn't work last year. It could be as simple as that. What do you want to be different? Um, and then I think that kind of informs you as, the, as you go on through the planning process. You think, oh, yeah, I wanted to, to do this differently. What I actually do is I have a, a, just a piece of paper that's in a, a binder that I use for just some simple records. And I write myself a few notes throughout the season. So grow yellow beets or do um, succession planting of spinach because I know that I'm, ne- I'm not going to remember mm-hmm. what in February what I thought in the garden in June. Um, and so that's a way to reflect too. So that kind of helps me remember, oh yeah, these are some of the things I want to do differently this year. And maybe that'll keep you from, when you go to the, the garden center in May, keep you from <laughs> buying things you don't really want. So number two on your list, and I'm speaking with Megan Kane, uh, number two is dream. Dream, yeah. So I actually met met a gardener. I taught a class last weekend and I met up with a gardener and she said, I actually love, this is my favorite time of the year in gardening. She said, because this is the time of year where I have the most amazing garden in my head. <laughs> <laughs> that I can't, everything is just, it's just going to be the greatest year and everything is working so well right now because it's all in my head. And I thought that's a really great way to put it. Um, and so I do think there is some room for sure of dreaming and I, I take some time to do that. I think Pinterest is a great way. You can definitely get sucked into looking at lots and lots of pictures on Pinterest. I like it because you can, you can search specifically for specific terms. So I was thinking the other day that I wanted to try some new artistic or creative things in my garden. So I just searched creative vegetable garden ideas to see what came up. Uh, and then I'm a big, I'm a huge library user. I only live a couple blocks from the library in my neighborhood. And so I often will request some of my old favorite gardening books and then also any new ones that I read about throughout the year. And then I just, I have them all piled next to my favorite reading chair. And then sometimes in the evening, I'll pick up a gardening book and, and look through it a little bit. And, and sometimes that gives me some inspiration for some different things that I want to try this year. So I think they're, yes, I think gardeners are dreamers really Mm -hmm. (laughs) at at our core because who else but a dreamer could go out to a blank slate in the spring and to kind of be able, and to have the faith and the vision to, to create the, to create this beautiful garden and to know that it's going to be totally transformed throughout the season. Yikes. Prioritize. Prioritize. So I am a big proponent of strategy in the garden. Most of us don't have a big enough garden in order to grow everything that they that we want. And so one thing you could think about, especially right now since since it's winter and most many of us are buying much more from the grocery store than you might at other times of the year when you're getting things out of your garden or going to the farmer's market. Uh, So I suggest that you think about what are you buying at the grocery store right now on a regular basis that you could potentially integrate into your garden plan this year. So maybe for me, I would say berries is something that in the past I've bought from the grocery store in the winter because I like to eat smoothies. And then over the years, I decided, you know what, I want to just use my own berries 
so I, and not even my own, because I'll go pick berry, blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, and freeze them. Mm -hmm. And then now I don't need to buy berries from a store anymore. I just use use mine or whatever ones I've picked throughout the season. Uh, and then a second step that would, that would be to think about some of the most common favorite things that you cook at home throughout the year. And can you deconstruct some of those meals and then see, can you grow some of those things? So in our house, beans and rice, burritos or tostadas is a good backup meal when we don't have a plan for something else or we need a quick meal. And so we like to grow onions and garlic we freeze red peppers, we freeze corn, and we actually can some salsa. And so those are all the ingredients that go into one of the most common dishes that we cook at home. Well, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, uh, I, I tell people don't try to grow something no one will eat. <laughs> and I always think of okra, because okra is so beautiful, <laughs> and but no one will touch it. it well, it depends on where you live and what you're right. used to. But then I'm thinking, looking at your list, when you say make your garden beautiful, okra can be beautiful. <laughs> so That's true. Maybe, That's true. maybe you grow, I know you, you suggest adding flowers and having rudbeckia and things like that. Uh, and maybe the okra goes in, in the beautiful uh, pile. And you say add excitement, and you've, you've mentioned some of the things that you already do when you dream. And you have order seed catalogs and swap with friends. Uh, well, order seed catalogs, start your own seeds, swap with friends. And I think swap with friends is, is something that people really ignore. Because, you know, you order seed packets and you get a thousand seeds okay. and you need 25 plants. <laughs> and your neighbor, <clears throat> maybe he or she also has a thousand seeds. <laughs> so if you can just get organize in the beginning and say I'm going to I'm going to grow these cuz they need the similar uh, conditions you know let, let's say the tomatoes need to be warm and some of the other crops need to be cool in March when you start them so maybe uh, swapping with friends means uh, communicating of what seeds you're going going to get in the first place yeah, yeah, I, I do that with one of my friends who lives not that far from me, and we just meet up at his house. We both bring our seeds, and then we just go through the seed packets. Usually, I just bring, sometimes I don't have enough of something, so I won't bring them to his house, but we'll just bring all the things that, we're, that we want to share with each other, and then we'll just go through the packets, take out, and that way you can take out only, if you only want five seeds or six seeds, you can just take them out, and then we just wrap them in little pieces of paper and put the, put the names on it. Mm. And then actually this year, um, in I have a private Facebook group for one of the programs that I run. We're doing a, a mail swap. So through the, the U.S. mail, we're, we have a sheet where people are just offering five seeds or five varieties, and then people can say how many they want, and then mm. everybody's going to mail them to me, and then I'll... I'll separate them out and then mail out a package to everybody. So just as kind of an experiment so that we can trade a little bit further, further afield. Well, we're going to have some links on the Kendrews Real Dirt webpage. And that one sounds like maybe we should post that link too, uh, unless you have too many people already. Well, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how many people we can accommodate. Um, there are some, some people that do it that I've read about that do pretty large groups um so we're doing a kind of an experiment to see how many how how much work is it and how many people can we accommodate 
Yeah, like 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine if we had 100 people. It would be, (laughs) my living room would just be filled. Well, maybe we we won't post that one, but (laughs) I'll I'll write about it. Uh, So we've talked about making your, well, we'll talk more about making your garden beautiful. But you also have, and these things all are so connected, uh, but create a map. So you're dreaming now. And how about... You know, what can you put on paper? I guess you're putting it on paper, aren't you? You're making a plan. Well, the map actually I use to keep records. So, again, I am, I like minimal minimalist gardening, mm-hmm. but I have a map of my garden. So I used to mark things in the garden, which I think a lot of gardeners do, where you make a little tag or a little marker. But then I would come back a couple months later and they would just be totally gone. And so then I would start to lose track of what varieties what. And I think that's important when you grow something you really love. If you don't know what it is, you're not going to be able to grow it again. And vice versa, if you grow something you really don't like, but you lost the tag, you can't even make sure that you don't grow it again. So, so one day I thought, okay, this is crazy. I keep, my tags keep getting stolen by the garden trolls or what, I don't know what happened. I don't know. The blue jays used to take. Yeah. The blue jays, they're in their nests. And so I thought I should make a map of my garden. So I just took a piece of paper out of my printer, went out to my garden and just drew it freehand. I didn't measure anything out, took it back in, put it on my copier, made a bunch of copies and then I thought, okay, where should I put this map? And then I thought, I should make a garden binder so I can keep it. So I just dug out an old binder from the office, put in my garden maps, and then ever since then, every year, when I actually take, I've trained myself to take my binder out to the garden when I'm planting, and then and with a pen, and then when I plant seedlings or seeds, I'll immediately put down the date, what I planted, and then sometimes how many if it's seedlings. And so that's really what I mean by make a map of your garden. Because for me, that's really helped almost, it's almost like reverse planning. Because over the years, you start to realize, okay, I I never really need more than seven kale plants. Or I only plant five tomatoes because the years I planted too many, or more than that, it's too many. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of get a formula for your garden. And certainly that changes over time. But it's helped me become more familiar with the amounts of things that I planted. And I, I just looked at it the other day because I have a little, I'm experimenting with season extension in my garden and I have a little hoop that I created over one of my raised beds and I, and I wanted to know what date did I plant that hoop last year? And I went and looked and I planted it on March 9th. And so I thought, oh, that's soon. Mm-hmm. I, better, I better get ready to, to plant. And actually this year I'm going to, I'm going to, Try to. Pl- I'm going to plant a week to ten days earlier as an experiment, and to, and compare it to last year and see what happens. And so it's a way to. I think it's a way to become a more educated gardener, and then also not to have to recreate the wheel every year. You, I can just look at my records for the last couple of years, even when I'm seed starting, and realize, well, I never really plant more than seven kale, so I only really have to start ten. I don't need to start twenty-five kale because I'm not going to need them. Yeah, I talk to a lot of people these days, and everything's on the computer every or the phone everything's on the computer or the phone and i like yep. that you're doing it in a binder <laughs> i guess i'm old it's school. quicker <laughs> it's easier sometimes it's actually easier and faster unless it's raining uh having that and then you don't lose the binder or you know so maybe both is a good idea whatever you think of and i know you're saving pictures too something that you're talking about that also is, to me is refreshing 
is you're talking about time. And uh, I used to go around and I, I would have written a book and I would go to some TV station to be interviewed. And one of the hosts in the morning show would always say, what do you say to a first-time gardener, to someone who's never gardened before and lives in an apartment or something? How do you grow food on the, or can you grow herbs on the windowsill? You know, things that are really naive. And I like that you're talking about time and maybe something to add to your list is patience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think, I think it's a real education to grow food that you, you know, we go, and I grew up actually in Philadelphia in a row home mm. in a really urban area, and I didn't know anyone that had a garden. I didn't ever think about vegetables or how they were grown. We actually didn't even eat that many vegetables growing up. And when I started gardening, it just blew my mind that I never thought about what is a broccoli, what does it look like when it's on the plant? And, you know, what is it, how does an eggplant grow? And, and I think the other big part of the education is how long things take to grow. I would think, what? It takes two and a half months to get a one <laughs> broccoli head? That's crazy. <laughs> and so it, is, it does teach you patience. And, you, and garden time is a different time. Uh, it's a slower time, very different from the time, I think, in the rest of our culture, that you put something very small on the ground and you have to wait, sometimes as many as 120 days if you're planting a watermelon or a leek. Um, and I think that's one of the things I love about gardening, and I really think it, I think it teaches people to, I, I would say, respect all the work and time that goes into growing food and hopefully helps people value food more than we do, I think, in our larger culture. And to, when, when they go to the farmer's market, they can, they can empathize with the farmer and know, wow, it's, it's not easy to grow red peppers, or it's not easy to have all this produce that doesn't have any marks on it and looks right, really beautiful. Right. I Absolutely. know what it's like because I garden. Um, Especially so when you garden organically, it's really, really hard. Yeah, you're going to eat the half, <laughs> the the broccoli that's half eaten by cabbage worms. Right, but you can't sell it at the farmer's market, which right. is yeah, too bad. It's, yeah, it's very different. And I certainly my tolerance for, for, yeah, when you put in all that work, you think, there's no way I'm going to throw out this broccoli. <laughs> I'll pick out the cabbage worms, and then I'll eat the rest of the broccoli. That's a, that's a very good thing. It takes a long time for the broccoli to be ready to pick, but it's not like you're standing there tapping your foot <laughs> waiting for it. Right. Because right. there's a million things to do. Or a, a thousand things to do. And, you know, I always, I have so many friends who say, I love weeding. And I think, oh my God, you're crazy. But I know that they get into this sort of Zen therapy thing where they're, they're picking out the weeds and they're thinking about the things that happened during the day and they're thinking about the week and they're dreaming. And it's a, it's a nice kind of thing because you're occupied, but it doesn't take your entire brain. You know, it's a new twist on multitasking. And then you can think about, the next year's crops and how many kale you need and things like that right that's when you can jot down your little notes in your in your garden binder i i feel the same way as you about weeding i really don't like to weed and i try to minimize <laughs> the weeds as much as possible i kind of look at it as a waste of time oh my gosh <laughs> but i do love mulching with wood chips i would say that's my weeding um, we have, my husband's an arborist, so we always have lots of wood chips. Filling up the wheelbarrow with wood chips and, and taking it around, the, around our yard is, is, I guess, my equivalent of weeding. It feels very, a lot of times I'll listen to music or a podcast. And 
And yeah, you don't really have to think. You just fill up the wheelbarrow, dump the wheelbarrow, fill up the wheelbarrow, dump the wheelbarrow. And then you step back and you have this great satisfaction. Yeah, the transformation. And that's kind of the same with weeding. You go to this bed, it's got tons of weeds, you yank them all out and it looks totally different. So that could be part of it too. Just that the really concrete transformation that you can see in a pretty short amount of time. Well, you've told, told us so many things to think about, especially in winter. And I know so many people who, everybody, you know, in spring you go out and you look at the whole thing and you think, I want to kill myself. It's just too much. It's overwhelming. And this is a lot like what you said earlier. So yeah. you start with one thing and then two hours later you've weeded the whole place and you don't even realize that you've done it and then you step back. Yeah. But yeah. And just... I think you're right. There's many times that I've gone out to the garden and say, I'm just going to poke my head out and do this one thing. And then an hour later I realize, oh, I got in a nice way. I got yeah. kind of 20 things. Yeah, sucked into lots of different things. Cleaning up, too. You think cleaning up is so horrible, but then it makes you feel so much a part of the garden and of the experience and the process. And I want to thank you so much for being my guest today, Megan Kane from Wisconsin. And we'll have some links on the Ken Drew's Real Dirt webpage, including a link to Megan's free 10-step guide to smart spring planning. And I hope you can join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt Radio.